0: Good morning, church family. So happy to be here. Uh, let me add my happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. And you young people, if you haven't yet gotten a gift or uh, written out a card, you better do it quick, okay? Because moms deserve that, and I promise you they'll, they'll keep those cards forever. Um, let me also add uh, my encouragement for us to continue in our 40-days of prayer, How many of you are participating every morning the, or evening in the 40 days of prayer? Okay, this morning we're praying for our church. And we talk about how Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we understand that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He is also the capstone of the church and he is the head of the church. He is the body. He is the head of the body and we are the body, and we're gathered here to worship him in spirit and in truth. Without Jesus, without Jesus' obedience to the Father, none of us would be here. Without Jesus' sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice on the cross, where he shed his blood, as the choir just sang, none of us would be healed. If it weren't for his powerful resurrection from the grave, none of us would be assembled here this morning. Isn't it amazing that we are gathered here 2,000 years after that solemn event at Calvary and us as well as every other church of Jesus Christ around the globe is worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Amen. This is why we gather. It is because of Christ. So I encourage us all to continue to focus on him Turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let us look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so this morning, I want us to open up into the book of Ephesians. We're continuing our study in Ephesians this morning as we look at the riches of Christ. The riches of Christ. Last week, we talked about the power of one, one in Christ, how we are one in Christ because he provided one blood sacrifice. He himself is one body, and of course, there is one building. But now we turn to chapter 3 of Ephesians, and that's page 1134 in your pew Bible. And if you don't mind, please, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Understand, Paul now is in prison as he writes this letter. And he does so with great joy. But he says, I am in prison for the sake of you Gentiles. Because he is the preacher of the Gentiles. This was his calling by God. Verse 2 says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is... The mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Father, this is your word. We thank you for it. Oh, the depth of the riches of Christ that Paul is now preaching to the church in Ephesus. I pray, Father, that these words might penetrate our hearts and drive us into a deeper discovery of the riches of Christ for each and every one of us and our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as I think about being rich, the riches of Christ, I want to ask you a question. Who is the richest person in the world today? Does anybody know? I was kind of shocked to find out, but it's a man named Bernard Arnault, who is a Frenchman, who is a business magnate. He owns many, many businesses and many, many popular brands. Many of you probably buy those brands of products that he himself is responsible for. And he's worth $211 billion. Not bad. Not a a bad day's wage for a man. $211 Two hundred and eleven billion. Who is the second person? Does anybody know who the second richest person is in the world right now? His name is Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Many of us know Elon Musk with Tesla, and now the uh, he's now the CEO, or he's getting ready to replace himself as CEO for Twitter. It's interesting. He was number one until he bought Twitter. <laughs> it's interesting, but he's now worth one hundred and eighty billion. And then there's the third guy, and probably every person in this room bought something from his company this last week and had it delivered to your door. His name is Jeff Bezos, Amazon, and his, is, uh, his worth is $114 billion. Not bad, not bad. But here's the key. When all of these men die, and they're going to die, how much will they leave behind? All of it. Amen, sister. All of it. You can't carry it away in a coffin. You can't carry it in a U-Haul behind your hearse. You cannot take what you have accumulated on this earth into heaven. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to see the dichotomy of what earthly blessings, what earthly wealth is about versus that of the riches of Christ. The riches of Jesus Christ. And so let's dive in this morning to this passage of scripture. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, give us Paul's revelation, which is the mystery of Christ. Now, what is the mystery of Christ? Notice what he says there in verse 6. This mystery is that, and the Greek word for mystery is mysterion, something that is veiled or undisclosed or not yet known. And so it's, it's a mystery. But now he has this mystery that has been revealed to him. And he is revealing it to us in the pages of scripture. And he is revealing it to the church in Ephesus. Which, by the way, was one of the wealthiest cities in Paul's day. The wealthy all accumulated in Ephesus. And Paul here, in this tender letter of only six chapters, uses the riches, the word riches... Five times to place a kind of counterpoint to the riches of earth versus the riches of heaven. And so he says this mystery is that through the gospel, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Notice all three of them. First, they're, they're heirs with Israel. The Gentiles now have the opportunity for them to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ by faith. And so we see that this first revelation of Paul is this mystery that they are now sharers together, heirs together with Israel. In Romans chapter 4 verse 4, it actually asks this question, for if those who depend on the law are heirs Faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. What he's making the point is, is that the Israelites thought that they were the keepers of the law. That they were the ones, if you follow the law, then you will become heirs of God. But Paul addresses this in Romans, and he says, no, if it depended on the law, then the promise is not worth anything but the promise has come to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ because everything begins and ends with him. And so secondly, in Romans 8, 17, he says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Isn't it wonderful that you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ? And if he is the basis the fountain by which all riches flow, and you are joint heirs with him, then the riches of Christ are now yours because you are in Christ. Interesting. And then Titus 3.7 says this, Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. All of us are looking forward to that point in time when we will no longer be ravaged by the sin of this world. We'll no longer be ravaged by disease and sickness and death because there's a time coming when all things will be made new. We will be restored. We will enter into eternal life. But so many of us run hard and fast to chase after what this life has to offer. It's a chasing after the wind is what the wealthiest man to have ever lived had said. His name is Solomon. He said, it's all chasing after the wind. And so we see the mystery is revealed that we are heirs together with Israel. But turn over in chapter 4, verse uh, verse 4, and look at what it says there. Chapter 4, verse 4, it says there is one body One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is what he is saying, that now we are all together as one and we have one faith. We have one body, one spirit. Christ is the center. Christ is the center of the church. And because of that, we are one. We are together in the body of Christ because of faith. And then thirdly, we are sharers together in the promise of Christ. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 3, it says this, that, Paul, that God tells Abram, he says, all nations will be blessed through you. He's telling Abraham this. This is the panoramic view of God's redemptive plan that when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, what he did was he said, be fruitful and multiply. And what happened? They sinned. They disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, what did they do? They were ejected from the garden. But that didn't thwart God's plan. Because then he raised up Abram. And he said, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And we know the story of Abram. He and his wife were not, they were old, they didn't have children. And God said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and all nations will be blessed through you. Do you realize that the three major monotheistic world religions all point to Abraham as their father? Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all of them point back to Abram. God's plan through Abram was that all nations would be blessed through him. And then what did he do? God raised up a nation after they were enslaved in Egypt. And that nation was Israel. And the deliverer was Moses. That Moses would be a type of Jesus Christ who would deliver all people from the sin and slavery of their sinful lifestyle. And so we see here that in God's redemptive plan, it has always been moving forward to this ultimate Redeemer, this ultimate Deliverer, this ultimate Lord of all, Jesus Christ. And so we see here in Genesis chapter 12, he predicts it. And then in Romans chapter 10, he affirms it. Look at what it says there in verses 12 and 13. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. All who call on Him. And then he says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen and hallelujah. What a Savior. In Galatians chapter 3, we learn this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all... One in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And if you are Abraham's seed, then you are heirs according to the promise. Do you see how it all fits together? And so Paul was driving home the mystery that God has now revealed to the Gentiles that they can be joint heirs, part of the same body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. But then secondly, and it's so important, the riches of Christ are proclaimed. The riches of Christ are proclaimed. Look at what it says there in verse 8. It was our memory verse this morning. It says this, although I am, this is Paul talking, although I am less than the least of all God's people. Now, if you and I were sitting here this morning and we knew anything about the Bible, the fact that this man, Paul, wrote half the New Testament. We wouldn't call him the least of all God's people. But he refers to himself in this way because he recognizes that when he began his journey as a persecutor of Jesus Christ and the church, he understood that he was a vile and sinful man for trying to rail against God's redemption plan but God radically changed him on the road to Damascus. My question for all of us this morning, when did God radically change you? When were you taken into his fold? When were you the person who came into this relationship and said, I'm selling out for you, Jesus? My life is yours. I am now dead to sin. I am no longer mine. You are my Lord. The question all of us have today is, are we living our lives for ourselves or are we living our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ? And all of us recognize that that is what Paul's heart is. Because he then goes on to say that although I'm the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, folks, I I have done a study on this, and there's no cookie-cutter way to go through the Bible and find what those riches of Christ are. There are markers, there are anchors that we can hold on to. But to think about the fact that they are unsearchable is important because all of us recognize that the unsearchable, the word for unsearchable means untraceable beyond being able to find out, beyond being able to understand fully, you'll never plumb the depths of the riches of Jesus Christ. People tell me all the time, Grady, you've been studying the Bible, and honestly, I have been a Bible student my whole, since 17 years of age. I have studied this Bible. I have read it over over and over and over and over and over and over again. I study it. I don't just read it. If you read the Bible, it's like this, folks. If you read the Word of God like it's a self-help manual, you'll never understand the riches of Christ. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling low or discouraged, and you want some encouragement from the Word of God, you go to it, that's fine. But that is not what God wants for all of us. He has given us His love letter. He wants us to dig in because this book is a tapestry. It is a painting. It is a beautiful portrait of God himself in Jesus Christ. And every single word that is in this Bible teaches us the depth of the riches of Jesus Christ. People ask me all the time, do you learn anything new in the Bible? Only every single day. Every single day as I study, it's like new things come to me. And I'm, I'm amazed at how much... Depth there is in this book. I read a novel, I can put it down and be done. It's over. I know the beginning, I know the end, I know the characters, I know what happened, the plot, everything, it's finished. This book, never. I never get to the bottom of it. And that is what it's like to be able to plumb the depths of the unsearchable, unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. It says here in uh, verse Uh, it says actually it's in verse uh, 10 his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms the mystery is to be revealed to us in the heavenly realms it's interesting because this word manifold like I just talked about it's like there is this mosaic or this painting. Any of you who are a painter in this room understand that different colors, different textures, different hues, different shades add so much life to a painting. That there is this beautiful picture that on the surface is only two-dimensional, but then it comes out because there's texture and there are shades and there are perspectives that are created when a good artist puts that painting together. And when we think about this, we have to think about how the word of God in Christ Jesus is like this amazing portrait. It is multicolored. There are no limits to the number of colors that God gives to us in the word of God. It's interesting also that it's like a mosaic. It's like a tapestry. And if you see the front of a tapestry, it's this beautiful uh, depiction of something Amazing to look at, but on the backside, there are knots everywhere. This is what the Word of God is. Right now, most of us turn open the Word of God and we see nothing but knots. But as you dig into it, as you study it, as you dig in and say, I'm going to really, I'm, I'm going to take redemption. What is redemption? What does the Bible have to say about being redeemed? And you just go through and you cross-reference, cross-reference, cross-reference. Cross-reference, cross-reference. And you see every time that that word redemption comes out. And it begins to build the cult, the whole picture of what the God's redemption plan is. And what does that do? It fuels your faith. It teaches you that this is, this is the very word of God. And it's helping me to see that I am now part of his kingdom. And he wants to teach me from this word, how to live this life in view of the surpassing greatness of the glory that is before me. That is what it's all about. So what are, what are these unsearchable riches? Well, I found seven of them as anchors. Understand, there are countless riches in Christ, but there are seven that I want to briefly mention this morning. Before I do that, I want to mention that Jesus' parable. Of the hidden treasure. It's a short parable in Matthew chapter 13. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure that when a man finds it, he then hides it again and then goes out in joy and sells everything he has and then buys that field. Because that treasure is that he's found the treasure. And so this morning, here's the treasure that we will find. Number one, the unsearchable riches begin with God's grace. God's grace. Look at what it says there in chapter one of Ephesians. Chapter one, verse seven. It says this, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The riches of God's grace. Uh, Look over in chapter 2, verse 7. Again, we see this concept of the riches of God's grace. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So we see the first anchor is grace. You know, the, the hymn: Grace, Grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen. That is what grace is. The Bible teaches us that where sin abounded. Grace abounded all the more because God's grace is like an ocean. And it's like I'm trying to sweep it, sweep the ocean back off the shore with a broom. But God's grace comes and it's pouring over us. This is the grace of God. It's part of the riches of Christ that it comes pouring over us. Do you feel the grace of God this morning? Number two, there's mercy. Look at what it says there in chapter 2, just in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So we have mercy. The riches of God's mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Do you understand that over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God said, I will be forbearant. I am long-suffering. I am slow to anger, abounding in love. I want you to come to repentance. I want you to come to this place where you recognize that there is this place of freedom that you can finally receive when you come into the riches of Christ. And mercy is one of those. So we have grace and we have mercy, but thirdly, we have kindness. Kindness. Jesus loves sinners. In Romans 2, verse 4, Paul says this Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Do you realize that God is kind? God is so good, we just sang it. He is kind. He wants you to come into a right relationship with him. He wants you to come into that deeper level. Oh, you can play Christian for so long, but eventually God wants to take you deeper. He wants to bring you into a deeper understanding of who he is, because then the fullness of life really opens up for all of us. You understand that is what he is saying, the kindness of Christ. It leads us to repentance Not just the first time when we repent and receive Jesus Christ, but the repentance on a daily basis from the sin of our life that separates us from the one who is so kind. God is so kind. God is so good. And then fourthly, He is His glory. His glory. You understand, mothers, this morning, it's like moms are gracious. They're merciful. They're kind. You think about all of that, it all, you're emulating your father in heaven when you provide those kinds of attributes as you care for your children and your household. But then there's glory. In Romans 9, uh, by the way, Romans 9 through 11, just go read it. You'll understand the bigger picture if you take your eyes off of um, the idea of this, you know, What Paul's really trying to do is help the Jewish people understand that God's redemptive plan includes Gentiles. It really is that simple. And this is what he says. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? Whom he prepared in advance for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. Of course, he's referring to Gentiles. And once again, he is talking about his glory. The glory of God is part of the riches of Christ. And then fifthly, the wisdom and knowledge. In Romans 11.33, Paul breaks out into doxology and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The wisdom and knowledge of God. His incomparable wisdom. You can't plumb the depths of God's wisdom, but he has made it known to all of us. Number six, there's power. Power in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? Turn over to chapter 3, verse 16. And it says here, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's the power of God that is available to all of us. The power in our inner spirit. In Corinthians, Paul would say this word, these words, we have these treasures, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Do you realize that jars of clay are your body? That we have this uncomprehensible, incomprehensible wisdom of God within us that all of us have. It's like treasure But it's in a jar of clay because the body is fleeting. The body is temporal. The body is subject to decay. But the treasure that lives within us as we learn about the riches of Christ. Well up and overflow to those around us. So we have his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his glory, his wisdom. And knowledge, his power. And finally, number seven, his truth. His truth. Colossians chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 say this, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You understand that we have everything. Jesus Christ himself is the embodiment of all of the riches of God, It is in him. Without him, nothing has been made that has been made. Without him, there is no redemption or reconciliation with God. Without him, there is no way for you to make it through this life and get to the other side because he alone purchased your ability to come into eternal life with a holy God. We sang holy, holy, holy because God is holy. Because we're unholy. Our holiness does not come from what we have done. It comes from the one who came and became holy for us, Jesus Christ. You see, that's what it's all about. So we we don't worry about the earthly blessings. Don't get hung up on the horrendous prosperity gospel that's out there these days, folks. I'm going to tell you right now. That the prosperity gospel will prove, it'll, it'll promise you a bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger bank account, a better life, better health, better uh, wisdom. No, it won't. It won't. It's a lie. It's a lie. And I know why it's a lie. Because guess what? Moses understood this principle in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at what he said there. By faith, Moses. Now understand, Moses came 1445 years before Christ. Get that. 1,500 years before Christ. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised by the Egyptian court, by the Pharaoh's daughter. He could have had everything as an Egyptian prince. But it says here, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking forward to his reward. Now, folks, I don't know how all this works out, how Moses understood the fullness of Christ, perhaps by special revelation of God. But he passed on the temporal riches and treasures of Egypt in order to be a recipient of the future reward that he had in Jesus Christ. This morning, all of us, recognize the importance of coming by faith, trusting Jesus, because in him reside all of the riches you will ever need. In him, there is forgiveness. In him, there is redemption. In him, there is reconciliation. In him is the glorious inheritance into eternal life. For if you come to Christ, if you sell out to Jesus, you will live the fullest life now and be entered into the fullest life you will ever believe could happen for you. My goal today is to help you to not focus on the temporal, the physical, the earthly. The goal of this passage, what Paul's trying to really drive home, Are you really sold out to Jesus? This Bible tells us everything we need to know about the mystery of Christ and the riches, the unsearchable, unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. Today's your day to say I am going to sell out And I'm going to make Bible reading a daily, not reading, Bible study, a daily diet that will feed my soul. Because that will live forever. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the unsearchable riches of Christ. We thank you for the anchors that you've provided in your word, but we know that we'll never plumb the depths of all of the riches of Christ. So, Father, this morning as we come and we think about responding today, there are people in this room, maybe people in this room or on live stream, who have never fully come to the realization that they need Jesus. I pray that they will come and surrender their life today. Today is the day of their salvation. May they come and receive Jesus Christ once and for all. And call him not just Savior, but Lord as well. Lord, if there are those in this congregation, many people are contemplating membership. Lord, if they are wanting to join our church, our fellowship of faith called Ashley River Baptist Church, today they can come forward and they can celebrate joining our church and becoming a part of this local body of Jesus Christ. Father, if there are those in this room who really need to just get right with you and just recommit their lives to you, maybe they've been a Christian for 10 or 20 or 40 years, but they've never really taken it to heart to study your word, to learn, to grow and discover the full riches of Christ. I pray that this morning they'll make that commitment to you And their pews are up here at the altar. And Father, as we sing this song, may all of us respond in worship of you as we do so. We pray all of this in the capable name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and our friend. Amen. Amen. Please stand and we'll sing this song. And you respond.